Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, find the obvious, bare to the absurd, hold into your friggin' lug nuts. Time for an overall. Let's do it. Glad to have you back with me one more time. It is a gorgeous day here in Chicago. You may hear my co-host in the background, the Crickets. Not Buddy Holly and the Crickets. That's a different show. But the Crickets are extremely loud this morning. It might just be one. There's, you know, I have this studio at the back end of my house. And in, right outside the window, it seems, this cricket camps pretty much every season about this time. And you know, I'm fascinated by the things that go on in my backyard. I got to tell you, I have this cat. Uh, that I've named Mo. If you just put a mop of hair on him, he looks like Mo from the Three Stooges. And Mo's been around about three years, I think. And the last year, especially, he's gotten closer and closer to the house. And, you know, there was a time that I uh, was not a huge fan of feral cats. Now, there's a problem, obviously, with them in a lot of different areas of the country. But my stance has softened as I've gotten older. Uh, I was never mean to them, but I certainly made it known that I didn't want them around. It's just, no thanks. I think part of it comes from growing up with like 400 cats in our house. It's probably, let's just get down to it. You know, if we're going to do some digging here, there's where it starts. My mom would take in every single cat she could find. And they weren't all spayed and neutered. Next thing you know, there's 47 more cats and 47 more cats. So anyway, while my mom grew up on a farm uh, during her young life, I'm thinking, we're living in the city here, Ma. We don't need all these cats. So every morning, they would be fed off like these giant, like cookie sheets. And my Auntie Eleanor, who came to live with us in the later part of her life, uh, was also a farm girl. So to her, it was, you know, let's go feed the cats. Other people want to feed the cattle. We fed the cats. And I can vividly remember in my high school years even, coming down the stairs and seeing my aunt pour like a half a bag of cat food on this giant cookie sheet thing and just surrounded by felines and I just you know and then you got 17 litter boxes in the basement and stuff so I will just tell you an awful disclosure and you can all be telling my voice I'm not a fan to a great degree I just it's way too much so over the years we've had cats in our family one at a time which I think is how it should be so back to Mo. So Mo has, like I said, been kind of circling the area for a while, and he's a big gray striped cat, and his, the head on this thing is like a 16-inch softball. It's a huge cat. And when I study him and his habits, he comes around around the same time of the day, and you know he would usually sit the far end of the yard, and there's a mouse or two that's out in the garage, I'm sure, and I'd watch him do his thing. And when the months got colder, I would put food out, and it's like, okay, you know. I don't want to go as far as saying one of God's creatures out in nature, but the fact is that, that this cat, in my opinion, my observation for sure, and now my experience, you know, didn't ask to be put in this position. It's definitely not a house cat. It's not somebody's cat. It's just too rough, and it's just too tough looking. Kind of reminds of me. Maybe that's why I'm taking care of it. Mo is like my doppelganger in cat form. So... Last couple days, he's been coming really early, like 3.30 in the afternoon. So I'll be working in the office, and 
I'll have my doors open, a window open, and stuff like that. And I can always tell when Mo's around because the squirrels get pissed off. Like, oh, Mo's here somewhere. And, you know, of course, they chatter up the yard and stuff. So the, the, the ebb and flow of nature, you know, even in my own little backyard here, it just fascinates me. Uh, and so now Mo gets within about five feet. I don't need to touch Mo. I don't care to touch Mo. But we have an understanding. We just kind of lock eyes a little bit. It's like, okay, brother, I got you for a while. We're debating, and I know I'm going to get a call on this from Ginny. We're debating putting one of these all-weather cat houses out that, you know, it warms itself, it's thermal and stuff. Then I'm thinking, okay, well, that's great. Then you're going to have raccoons in there and possums in there and other squatter-type animals in there. Could be an armadillo in there. You never know. You know, armadillos, by the way, while for the most part have always been a southern beastie, because the weather's changing, the climate change, they're coming more and more north. They're migrating and pushing north. There's going to come a day where you're going to see an armadillo in the city of Chicago. You heard it here first. Anyway, I'm very, very excited about today. I, I can't begin to tell you how giddy, yeah, I use the word giddy, how giddy I am for this particular Saturday. I will be spending most of the day and certainly this evening with uh, men and women that I served with in the United States Coast Guard. Most of them, except there's 30 coming, two of them I've seen since I got out in 1984. For the rest of them, haven't seen them since Reagan was in office. We were all in our 20s. Now we're in our 60s. And these are people I never, ever thought I would see again. You know, when you go to a high school reunion, and I'm pretty active in that stuff, you know, kind of get used to it. It's great to see everybody, but you see them. You know, once a year, twice a year, whatever it might be. And some people even more than that. Tim Anderson and I go out to dinner quite often with our, our gals. And, you know, that's a great thing. It's really important to me to have that. I go back to my grammar school. We had our 50th reunion from graduation 1973 last summer. There's only about eight or 10 of us showed up. But even that was fantastic. College for sure. I see my college football buddies on occasion. Uh, we go back and forth with that. Uh, every single morning, our manager, Laura, sends out a text message to all of us. So you got to know what this feels like. So here's us rough, tough football players now in our late 50s, early 60s. Some of us like me in our mid to middle 60s. And every morning there's Laura with some sort of meme or, or you know, little picture of something to make our day. And then I watch everybody weigh in. Big Tommy White, who's, you know, played for the Pittsburgh Steelers in training camp back in the day. And the the ultimate tight end, Keith Keith Gilly. He's, uh, he's weighing in for, he's at the aforementioned Mr. Anderson. He's weighing in from, he's at, and I watched this thought, first of all, isn't technology amazing? Here's Laura, who was our manager back in the eighties. No, not even in the seventies. And every morning from Texas, she's reaching all of us wherever we're at. That's great connection. That's important stuff. While those are all great, again, never thought I'd see these people again in my life. So the short story, because I don't want to burn the whole thing up on this, but it's just prominent in my mind today, is that one of the helicopters that we all flew in and worked on and serviced and was around was 1459. That's the numbers on the side. And it is a HH-52A Sikorsky helicopter. They are out of service now. I don't know, 30 or 40 years, they were the backbone of search and rescue, uh, air search and rescue for the Coast Guard. And Probably four or five years ago, a guy named Mike Phillips, who I served with, you know, we have all these Facebook groups and stuff, and there's this one called the Airedale's Treehouse for people who were in aviation like we were. 
and he puts this picture of 1459 up and it's in decay. And I'm like, wait, hold the F on here. Last time I saw this helicopter, it was hanging from the ceiling of the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago in pristine condition. So when Air Station Chicago was decommissioned, I think it was 1995, the helicopter went to the Museum of Science and they hung it. It was great. When my kids were little, we went there on vacation. We were living in Michigan. I'm like, see that? Daddy was flying in that at one time. Yeah, Dad, you're old. Yeah, thanks. So somehow there was an effort made to do a smaller museum to commemorate NAS Glenview, Naval Air Station Glenview, as it should. It was a prominent part of World War II. I mean, it was just this massive place outside of Chicago, northwest of Chicago. And so now it's all million-dollar homes. I mean, you can't find – there's only a couple landmarks left from that long run of the, of the air station. And a guy tried to put this museum together, and he somehow talked the Museum of Science and History to giving him 1459. And the whole museum thing fell through, and now it's in a parking lot, much to our dismay. So I'm not going to get too much into that because I've had some interactions with the guy, and he seems like he wanted to you know, work to get something resolved and move it forward and figure things out because they're... They're not going to build a museum. It's just not not at this point uh, that there's going to be a place for And if there was, this thing is such decay, it has to be restored. So I've made some efforts in that direction. He kind of rebuffed all those and I'm, screw it. Um, but anyway, that's what started all this. And when I saw the pictures, I went out to see the helicopter. One thing led to another. Uh, I called the Sheik, Roger Shankup. He came up from Southern Illinois. And then Jimmy Smith, one of the greatest to turn a wrench on a helicopter. He came over and we assessed it which was a shit box, and then we put tarps on it. The squirrels were lit. It's a condo for squirrels at that point. Sad deal, which is not unusual, though, for old aircraft to be just left, you know, the airframe rotting like that, which is after so many years of service and so many rescues and so many lives saved, it deserves better. So we tarped it up, and then we got the guy to put a shrink wrap on it, which if nothing else keeps the elements out, but also keeps everything else in, and that's not always a good thing either. That's what started all this. And next thing you know, one rolls into the th next thing. And here we go over here. And so-and-so's talking to who. And pretty soon, the inevitable happens. Hey, we should have a reunion. And Augie, which is my nickname, depending on how you know me, uh, he's in Chicago. Well, he should put it together. Because, you know, John's got nothing else to do. And all right. So we got the ball rolling. I called Roger. When we were uh, roommates back in the day for a while. Great guy. And so we started tag teaming it and finding guys and putting together. So six months of work culminates in today's reunion. And the last, I don't know, week or so, especially as guys started showing up in Chicago and more and more posts and, and seeing things, I've been laughing more than I have in a long time. And quite frankly, it takes a lot to get me to laugh. I'm too serious sometimes. But these guys and the stuff that comes out of their mouth, I'm sitting here by myself giggling like a school kid getting out of school early. So in about three hours, I'm going to be out at the Chicago Executive Airport, and I have not seen these people again in, in 40 years. And in all of this, Coast Guard Air Station in Detroit, on the other side of the lake, uh, Commander Christian Poliak reached out to me on his own. I didn't ask for this. On his own, reached out and said, hey, why don't we honor you guys with bringing our helicopter over, and you can hang out with us for a while. This is the 21st century 45 million dollar hh65 uh dolphin helicopter supersonic speed and all that kind of cool stuff 
And of course. So in about three hours, he's going to be landing that bird out there, and we will be oogling and googling this thing. And then we're going to sit through a little presentation about 21st century you know, search and rescue efforts and stuff. And that's all well and good. But tonight, I'm telling you right now, you know, the bail money's already set aside. I got it sitting right here in an envelope because when you don't see somebody for 40 years and what we all went through together, the libations will flow in abundance. And when you don't think something's going to happen or you're, you're thinking along the lines that, well, that was a great, incredible memory, a formative time. And then you get to go back and spend time with those people that were part of that formative time. And we all have that common experience. It's a big freaking deal. At least for me. The older I've gotten, the more reunions I'm attending. And I think that's just a natural thing. But, you know, there's a lot of people that don't show up. There's a lot of guys we couldn't find, you know, and some never return calls. And stuff. And, you know, everybody's got their own, their own deal. But uh, it's a beautiful day for flying. And we're not going up in the helicopter because we're civilians at this point. It's not going to happen. But we're going to recreate. There's a picture we took in 1983 in front of the air station in, in uh, Glenview. And the, you know, the crew is laid out right in front of the helicopter. I don't think these dolphins are as big as the, uh, as the old HH-52As, but we're going to recreate with everybody that's there the picture that we took 40 years ago. That's friggin' cool. So anyway, I'm kind of gushing this morning, and I'm really worked up, had a great night's sleep. And as I said, it is a still morning. Those guys will be flying across lake. takes about 90 minutes to get here. Um, because they're going into the wind. I think it's probably 125 mile an hour, 140 mile an hour uh, airspeed on that. So I get to go B-24 again for a while. And I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, In other news, the government is shutting down. Probably not. But if it does, we'll survive. Um, I, I had to bring this up, which is in direct opposition to how good I feel about what's going on today in my life is that I'm sitting there last night and once again going through this circus. You know, it's, it's not my circus and not my clowns. We're just sitting watching all this. And when this takes place, when we get to these loggerheads all the time, you know, people are getting all worked up. Big looming government shutdown was on the news. I, come on. How many times have we seen this stuff? We're still going to looming government shutdown. Quick, bar the door. The end of the world's coming. People, Yeah, all those things are true. But it's on the backs of the people who make the votes. Nothing you and I can do about that, except respond. You know, I talk about all the time, responding and reacting. The reaction is they should all be voted out of office and get people in there that can actually work together for the common and greater good. What a concept. But that's not going to happen. So what's the response we can have? You know, when this happened last time, it wasn't that long ago. It was from December 2018 into January 2019. This was the second time during former President Trump's term that this took place. And it was, of course, because of the negotiations for the wall along the Mexico-United States border, which never got done anyway. Back to this Coast Guard thing, um, there were uh, Coast Guard families holding bake sales to pay rent. I got a problem with that. And across the board, all the ramifications. So the people in the middle that this affects the most are always used as leverage pins uh, against two political parties. It's, it's a pile of shit, basically. And over the years, you know, let me tell you this one thing. Look, I'm all over the map today. I got coffee. It's a beautiful day. I'm very distracted. I want to go put a flight suit on and put a helmet on and go fly, but I can't. But these things are popping through my head. And the other day I thought, I'm going to run for president. I'm not going to win. 
but anybody can run for president. And I could put that on my resume and say, you know, hey, John ran for president once. He got seven votes, six of them were his. But I started thinking about, sometimes I feel like, how do we do more? How do I do more? Let's put more on me. And it comes right back to this microphone and the reminders of common sense for uncommon times. It's always uncommon times. I don't think there's been a time that it's just been common. Then you get a couple months here and there where it's pretty quiet, but for the most part, there's always shit hitting the fan. Humans are throwing shit at the fan all the time. The deal is be behind the fan when they throw it. Don't be in front of it as best you can. And if it gets on, you wash it off right away. You know, these two things are kind of juxtapositioned to me, meaning on one hand, I have such joy about going see these guys today that I can't hardly begin to tell you. And on the other hand, it's a shit show over here. So where I put my focus is really, really important. If you've been through a few government shutdowns, I have. If you've been through a few recessions, I have. Haven't done the depression thing. Let's leave that alone. But when you go through this stuff over and over again, over time, it kind of loses its bite. So I know the news have to barf this stuff up of the looming government shutdown. I get it. But I don't. And quite frankly, I don't care. Meaning, I'm running out of time. You know, we're all running out of time. And I got into a conversation with a guy the other day about this. And he says, you just seem so nonchalant about things. I said, I'm smart. You mean to tie into all that stuff? There'd be nothing left of me. I'm not paid to do that. I'm paid to be alive, meaning my payoff is to do what I can where I am with what I have. And this is what I do. So I might be nonchalant about looming government shutdown. Last time I'm going to do that, I promise. But I'm more interested in things like how do we move together as, as a group? Like even today, the, the, great, the great lesson I take away from my time in the Coast Guard was the greater good. You know, everybody that's coming today, we all have different political backgrounds and religious backgrounds and our skin color is different and we all come from different places and different parts of the country, different educational backgrounds. We got some guys who were enlisted and made the ranks all the way up to chief warrant officer and had gold braid on their hat. And then we got other guys who was in, I was only in four years and that's as far as I wanted to take it. But we all meshed together and pushed the shit aside when that SAR bell rang, the SAR alarm, search and rescue, off we went. Everybody knew their job. Everything gets put aside. And in some way, shape, or form in this country, and certainly around the world, that SAR bell's going off all the time. And instead of coming together to figure out how to save something, in our particular case would be a human being in, in difficulty, everybody doing their job, it's a chance and opportunity to keep ringing the bell more and more and saying, look, it's their fault the bell's ringing. That's the pervading mindset in politics. That's why I could not spend any time there. Much as I'd like to, my son said years ago, dad, why don't you run for president? Okay. Now I had that thought on my own, but I remembered him saying that a few years ago when I was talking about the budget was, it was the end of the budget period and blah, 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 blah. I don't know where that voice comes. So you just got to bear with me. But it was again, another end of the world. We're on the brink of disaster. It's everything's crashing down. That's life. We've created this system and you have to live with it. And whoever's in this system are the ones that make the system work or not. You know, Marianne Williamson uh, ran for president uh, four years ago, and she's at it again. I haven't heard a word from her, but she did declare. And I got to tell you, I, you know, on one hand, I worked with Marianne for four years when I was at Harpo, and she's not qualified to be president at all. But then again, what does qualified mean? Are these people that are qualified? 
running for president now? Donald Trump qualified? Is Joe Biden qualified? You know, you can look at all the qualifying factors. So I thought to myself, if Marianne Williamson can run, <laughs> I could run. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe that's the ticket. Marianne and John. I wouldn't mind being vice president. You know, just kind of run around, cut ribbons on things, launch ships, make speeches, stuff like that. I don't know what the VP gets paid. Let me take a look. The vice president of the United States makes $145,614 a year. I can do that. Yeah. I mean, the vice president of a company, the vice president of a company is between 113 and 242,000. So it's right the same thing. It's just a different kind of company. So Marianne, I think the, the president makes like, yeah, let me look. He's making 400 grand. Biden's making 400 grand. So if Marianne made 400 grand, I mean, she could make it off speaking engagements from her books. But if she was making 400 grand, I made 145, we could do this. I think it'd be really interesting. But beyond that, I got a better one for you without even getting too deep in the politics. Wouldn't it be interesting if there was a law in the books that said if a Democrat became president, automatically the front runner, you know, the losing candidate for the Republicans was vice president and they had to work shit out. Do you think it could happen? It would probably take millennia for that to happen or vice versa. If a Republican became president, the Democratic opponent who had the most votes would be the vice president. They'd have to figure, they'd have to occupy the same space. I think that'd be, that would be worth a pay-per-view in my opinion. Listen, I'm not going to keep you because I got stuff to do. We're only about 22 minutes in. I just wanted to express to you my thanks uh, before I wrap this up for listening. No matter what comes out of my mouth, I always say that I don't want to just waste your time or my time by babbling on and on. And sometimes, like this morning, I think that's the deal. I'm hoping always that there's some sort of nugget that you can pull out of this and apply in your life. Because I, I do the same. Every time I sit in here on a Saturday morning with the coffee on and my crickets as the co-host, I remember things and learn things even by saying them out loud. I don't know who's listening around the world. I don't know when you're going to hear this. I don't know what situation you're in or the conditions of your life are. But much like my time in the Coast Guard, you know, Semper Paratus is our motto. It means always ready. And I find myself, the deeper into the game I get, to be more and more ready to do things that bring people together and less and less about things that push people apart. So that's what it's all about today. You know, find some reunion in your life with the people that are important. And let them know that. You know, just because you haven't talked to somebody in 40 years doesn't mean you can't reach out. Maybe they're waiting to hear from you. Tonight's going to be interesting for sure. Uh, one of our guys, uh, Jim Wally Wallizer, calling him out. He already plunked down 500 bucks for the bar bill. We haven't even started yet, so it's going to be a, quite a thing. On that note, again, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the subscribers for supporting me all this time. And even when I'm kind of off the rails like today, I hope you find a little bit of value in there. Uh, I always try to put some, I'm getting more and more, I should say, to put music in these shows. And I'm only using music from people I personally know and, and saying, listen, you know, this is good stuff. Support them like you support me. If you're looking for digital downloads or vinyl albums or any kind of music, these are the people that, you know, you should give some consideration to. And of course, John Barry's on the list and Dave Stoddard's on the list. John Denver's estate doesn't need any help. They're doing just fine. I dropped the needle on his stuff now and again. And this is one of my favorite female singers, uh, I don't know how this little lady puts out things like this with such a big voice. Heidi Newfield is her name. She's been around for quite a while. You can find out more about Heidi at her website, HeidiNewfield.com. Until next time, 
Be well. Safe travels. Keep the faith. When I've done my fair share of living Had my ups and my downs My long way around More than a time or two But all the loves I've stolen, gambled, or given There's just three things Oh, just three things That I know Keep on.